Luke chapter 2, I'd like to read just uh, several verses. One of the greatest uh, Christmas passages, in fact, as I was coming in this morning, was just uh, listening to one of the news stations, uh, and they were reading this passage of Scripture. And I thought it very interesting right on Fox News. But Luke chapter 2, if I could read here first several verses, beginning in verse number 1. The Bible says, And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, every one into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, under the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth, forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. Lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. The angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. This shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. I want you to notice in that last verse I just read, verse number 14, that word peace. I want to talk here this morning for just a few moments on this subject. When Jesus comes, there is peace. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to gather on this wonderful day, this Christmas day. Thank you for the desire of these people to be around other believers and to be able to share and hear the Word of God. Minister to us today, help us to put aside some of the activities that may go on, and may we just focus and be intent on hearing what you have for us in these moments. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, the number of times I read this passage this week, I was amazed here at uh, the subtleness, if I can use this word, of how the Holy Spirit began to share with us that this is a passage of fulfilled Scripture. In a very quiet and yet humble way, we are given insight into the prophecy that is being fulfilled of where Jesus would be born. Is it not interesting here that Caesar, the king that was well known throughout the whole area of that world, asked for all of the citizens under his Roman government to pay their taxes in the places where they were born. Notice here that one of those is Mary, and that describes her that she's great with child. We're expecting her to deliver at any moment. And then there's her husband, Joseph. 
Joseph being originally from Bethlehem. And all of this passage ties in together with that prophecy given some 700 years prior in the book of Micah, chapter number 5, verse number 2, which states that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. And yet we come down from a king on the earth to Joseph and Mary to a very ordinary night. Some shepherds are out doing their duty. If it had not been for the scene of Jesus being born, we would have known nothing of these shepherds. We would have known nothing about the sheep. And yet these shepherds are tending their sheep probably in the same area where 1,000 years earlier, David had also been tending some sheep. It is to these simple, down-to-earth individuals that God shows his glory. The angel of the Lord came to them. Now, we're not told all of the specifics of their manifestation, but we got to surmise that there was something very special because on that night, those shepherds were in great fear. It was probably similar to the time that God appeared to Moses at the burning bush or when God appeared to the Israelites at, at a cloud by day or fire by night. It was his glory that filled Solomon's temple there at the dedication. That's something of what these shepherds saw. And yet aside from the king, the lowly shepherds, these angels come because they have a very specific message. Their important message coincided with something that had just happened. The angels come to the shepherds and they tell the shepherds, don't fear, don't fear. Now, the reason they're not to fear is because really of what they say in verse number 11, and it's just what had just happened. And notice here, they say in verse 11, for unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior, which is Christ the Lord. Notice those three titles that are given here, Savior, Christ, Lord. A Savior is the one who's going to save the people from their sins. He's going to save them from danger, the sin, the, the needs that they have in this life, as well as he's going to save them from death. Matthew chapter 1, verse 21 tells us about how Jesus, he would be named as such because he'll save his people from their sins. At the birth of the Lord Jesus, at the birth here, it is declared that Jesus would be our Savior. But notice here is the term Christ, the title. This is the Messiah, the one that has been anointed by God as the prophet, the priest, and the king. And yet here it is at the baptism of Jesus is when he is declared to be the Messiah, the Christ. But then he's noted as the Lord. He's God. He's the one who has power and authority. So here it is, Jesus Christ, known here as the Christ, the Savior, and the Lord. But these shepherds are told to go find him. But how interesting here. They won't find him as they would think. Because verse number 12, this shall be assigned to you. You're going to find the babe how? Just going to be wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. 
Now, if we were given the message that the Christ child would be born, would we not find some ornate palace to go to? Would we not find some wonderful things all decorated around? But yet in a lowly stable, there in a manger, we find Jesus is born. And there's three interesting words that I note here of the message of these angels. Please look at verse number 10. It's the word good tidings. This is the word where we get our word gospel from, the good news. Can I say to you, the gospel is the good news? It's the good news that Jesus came for you. It's the good news that your sins can be forgiven. Good tidings, good news. But notice right along with that good news is joy also in verse number 10. But then the word I want to highlight is the word in verse 14, the word peace. Notice what he says here, glory to God in the highest. Now, can I say that this was a phrase or a a part of a song that had been sung for hundreds of years at special times people would exclaim before God, glory to God in the highest. But at this time, the words peace on earth are added. Those words had not been added or sung for a very long time. You go all the way back to the Garden of Eden, and yes, there was a time initially when there was peace on earth, But when sin came in, it broke all that up. There was no longer peace on the earth. Now there was turmoil. Now there was trouble on this earth. And though from time to time, glory to God would be sung out, but not peace on earth. But now when Jesus is born, that baby, that Christ child is brought to this earth, the angels are telling them, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. Can I say to you that the day that that newborn king made his appearance, the angels are hearkening us to that word, peace. Oh, those swaddling clothes that wrap that Lord Jesus up was not just to cover him necessarily, but those swaddling clothes were a white flag of peace. That manger was the very place where the treaty of peace was signed, whereby warfare could be stopped. That is a warfare between man's conscience and himself and man's conscience and his God. Let me talk about that piece for just a moment and quickly give you three things this morning. First of all, number one, when Jesus came to this earth the first time, he brought peace with him. Now think about this. What is peace? We often want to know what peace is. People are looking for peace all over. Some are looking for peace in relationships. Some are looking for peace in the circumstances of life. Some desire a peace of mind, a peace of a smooth, trouble-free life. Some are looking for inner peace. But I don't know what it is that you're looking for today. 
But I want to tell you that when Jesus came to this earth the first time, he did bring peace with him. The English word peace kind of conjures up a very passive picture, if you will. Kind of shows the absence of any civil disturbance or hostilities, or maybe it's a personality that is free from internal or external strife. In our Western world, our whole concept of peace is the fact that there's no trouble. But I want to tell you that in the Hebrew here, the, the biblical concept of peace is a larger context than that. It doesn't just rest heavily on the fact that it's absent of, of any trouble, but the word shalom in the Hebrew literally means to be complete, to be sound, to be whole. In essence, peace is a very positive state. If a man were to greet another person walking down the street and he would say shalom to him, he didn't just mean, I hope you don't have any trouble coming your way, but instead he would mean this, I hope you have the highest good coming your way. That's peace. The Bible doesn't just necessarily focus on the absence of trouble. And is it not interesting that when Jesus came this first time, he brought peace with him, and it is spoken throughout the Gospels. Luke chapter 2, verse 14, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill towards men. In Jesus' ministry, that peace is seen all over. Luke chapter 7, verse number 50, when he spoke to the woman who washed his feet, he said these words, thy faith has saved thee, go in peace. Luke chapter 8, verse 48, to the woman who had an issue with blood, he said unto her, Daughter, be of good comfort. Thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace. John 14, 27, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. And then John 20, verse 26, after eight days, again, his disciples were within and Thomas with them and Jesus came, the doors being shut and stood in the midst of them. And he said, peace be unto you. Oh, I could go back to Isaiah chapter nine, verse six, when it refers to Jesus and it gives one of those titles of him as the Prince of Peace. And you say to yourself today, preacher, We've been 2,000 years since Jesus came to this earth that first time. I don't see a whole lot of peace. And you're right. Because of sin, because of all the, the, the disturbances in this world and, and the corruptness of our heart and the rebellion against God, there is certainly a seemingly lack of peace in this world. There's a particular society known as the Society of International Law. They have stated that during the last 4,000 years, there's only been 268 years of peace. In other words, only 7% of the time was there peace. In the last three centuries, there have been 286 wars on the continent of Europe alone. Eight thousand peace treaties have been made and broken. 
And during our period here, or during this period, there have been 14,000, over 14,000 wars, large or small, to which over 8 billion people have been killed. And yet we come into this last century in the 1900s and we find there's been World War I and then World War II and then the Korean War and the Vietnam War and Desert Storm and all of these others. And today we're living and looking around our world and we're saying, where is the peace? But I want to tell you something. When Jesus came, he brought peace with him. But notice number two, if you will, when Jesus comes into a heart, he brings peace with him. When Jesus comes into a heart, he brings peace with him. You see, the person that is without Jesus Christ is truly at odds with his surrounding. Most of the people that are without Jesus Christ, sadly, have tension in their relationships. Many times there is bitterness against God, which is often disguised here against a, a bitterness against religion or against a preacher or some Christian thing, and, and they disguise it, but yet there's a bitterness against God. And I want to say to you today that if you're here without Jesus Christ, there's a little bit of tension that's going on in the heart. You're trying to fill the void with the, the things of this world. You're trying to fill the void with some of the satisfactions of this world. But I want to tell you something. There's nothing that fills the void of a person's heart but when Jesus takes residence in that heart. I can tell you safely that the day that I got saved close to 18 years old, when I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior and He took residence in my heart, there was a peace that came on me that I didn't know before. Because when Jesus comes into a heart, He brings peace with Him. My friend, I want to tell you, Romans 5.1, the Bible reminds us that when we're justified with, with, by faith, we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Colossians 1 verse 20, And having made peace through the blood of His cross, by Him to reconcile all things unto Himself, because of Jesus coming in the heart, you and I can experience peace in this Christian life. How wonderful to know that as a child of God that I can have peace in the relationships of this world. It helps me to live peaceably with others. Romans chapter 12, verse 18 says, If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Now, I like that, as much as lieth within you. Sometimes it's hard to live peaceably with certain people. But the Holy Spirit makes it possible. He allows it to be so. And it's Him that helps us. I think knowing Christ as Savior, it gives us peace when tough times come our way. Philippians chapter 4, verse 7, And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus our Lord. Oh, I want to tell you as a Christian, in these last number of years that I have been saved, there has been a great peace that has come over me when I've been able to make decisions based on His direction in my life. Sometimes there have been things that have happened in this life 
that I have not completely understood or not known why certain things have happened. But as I trust God and as I yield myself to him as a Christian, there is a peace that comes upon me that others don't understand. And truly as a Christian, there is that peace. But it also gives peace in helping with decisions that must be made. James chapter 3 reminds us, but the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality, and without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. So what am I saying this morning? The idea is this, that when Jesus comes into the heart, he brings peace My friend, if you're here without Jesus Christ, I want to encourage you that the peacemaker, Jesus himself, when he takes residence in your heart, can make all things new and help you. But thirdly, when Jesus comes again, that is the second time, he will bring peace. See, the first time when Jesus came, it was announced and he brought peace with him. When Jesus comes in the heart, he brings peace there. But I want you to notice when Jesus comes again the second time, he will bring peace. You know, it's amazing what we face today. So much dissension, disunity, disharmony, disregard for fellow man. Today you turn on the news and what do you see? You see a lot of problems out there. Just take America alone. All of our cities are ravaged with with strife and violence and everything else. Read the, on the internet, get on social media and see the, the, the disharmony that is there, the hatred that people have for one another. Look at our culture. See the problems here that are invading our moral landscape. Walk around the community and sense a spirit of division wherever it is that you go. And I would say that the question often is asked is, where is the peace that this world so desperately needs? Is it found in treaties? Is it found in disarmament? Is it found in education? Freedom? Tolerance? No, I don't think any of these are ultimately the answer. Because all of these things are stained with sin. But I want to tell you, peace is only found in Jesus Christ himself. You know, there is coming a day when we spoke about this year as we went through the book of Revelation, when Jesus does come again and He will bring peace. All of what you and I are facing right now and looking in our world of of the turmoil and the world's problems are going to culminate in that period of time known as the tribulation period. It's a period of seven years. Praise the Lord that those of you that are saved today, I believe personally, will miss that period of time. We'll be raptured. We'll be in heaven. But those that are not saved, those that have never placed their faith in Christ, will be here on this earth, and they will go through a period of tribulation that the world has never, ever seen. But at the end of that tribulation period, as Revelation 19 talks about, Jesus Christ himself will come. 
And what a beauty it is that as the heavens open up and Jesus riding on that beautiful white horse and all the saints coming with him and Jesus conquers his enemies and establishes his kingdom here on this earth, it is then and there that ultimately peace will be established. My friend, there can be no peace on this earth till Jesus comes and Satan is removed. Oh my the initial taste of this period of time is found uh, in the scriptures and it describes it as this millennium period. Zechariah chapter 14, verse number 9. Revelation chapter 19 refers to it. What a wonderful time this will be. There will be a new and fruitful earth. Isaiah 35 tells us, the wilderness and the solitary place shall be glad for them, and the desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose. Ezekiel tells us, and they shall say, this land that was desolate is become like the Garden of Eden. This will be a time when those fierce animals that we're fearful of the nature of those animals will be changed. Isaiah 11 tells us the wolf shall dwell with the lamb, the leopard shall lie down with the kid, and the calf and the young lion and the fat, uh, fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. Boy, there'll be no more war. Isaiah chapter 2, verse 4 I love what it says here. He shall judge as Jesus among the nations and shall rebuke many people and they shall beat their swords in the plowshares and their spears in the pruning hooks. There'll be perfect safety. This will be a time when Jerusalem will be the center of worship and I could go on and on through the prophetical books in the book of Revelation and show you the wonderful peace will be there. But I want to say that when Jesus comes again, there will be peace. It was back in the 1800s, one of the greatest poets of that time by the name of Henry Wadsworth Longfellow was simply enjoying life at its best. The year was 1860. Wadsworth was 53 years old, was very happy in this life, enjoying a widening recognition, and was elated over the recent election of Abraham Lincoln, which he believed signaled the triumph of freedom and redemption for the nation. That joy and elation cerned to the sorrow as the country broke out in war. That joy and elation there that they, he was looking for turned very sour because a couple of months later, on July 9th, 1861, Long, Longfellow's wife, her name was Fanny, was near an open window sealing the locks of her daughter's hair using a hot sealing wax. Suddenly, the dress of her daughter uh, engulfed in flames, and her husband, who had been sleeping in the next room, all of a sudden heard the screams, and as he came in to desperately put out the fire that was there on his wife, not only was she severely burned, but he was burned as well in his hands and his face. His precious wife, Fanny, at the age of 44, passed away because of the burns. And Longfellow's severe burns wouldn't even allow him to attend his own wife's funeral service. 
that white beard which many had recognized him by now had all been removed and there was remaining there all the burn scars. In his diary that year for Christmas Day, he wrote these words, how inexpressibly sad are the holidays. In 1862, the next year, the toll of those who died in the Civil War began to mount. And in his diary that year at Christmas, Longfellow wrote these words, A Merry Christmas, says the children, but that is no more for me. In 1863, his son had run away to join the Union Army Army and was severely wounded during the Battle of New Hope Church, Virginia in December of that year, 1863. His father was summoned to Washington, D.C. there at the hospital. Then he brought his son home for recovery. And there's no entry in Longfellow's diary for that Christmas. But the next year, 1864, at age 57... Longfellow sat down to try to capture, if possible, the joys of the season. And so he began with these words. I heard the bells on Christmas Day. Their old familiar carols play. And wild and sweet the words repeat of peace on earth, goodwill to men. As he came to write out the third stanza, he was stopped to start thinking about all of the tragedies that were going on in the country. Over a hundred battles had already been fought between the Union and Confederate soldiers in that one year alone. The Battle of Gettysburg, one of the worst battles up to that point, was not long past. Boy, the days looked dark. And he probably asked himself the question, how can I write about peace on earth Goodwill towards men when when we're in this war-torn country where brother fights against brother and father against son. But he picked up his pencil. And in despair, he began to bow his head and he put, There is no peace on earth. For hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. You know, it almost seems as if he could be writing this song at this very hour. And all of us should do as he did to turn their thoughts, our thoughts, to the one who gives true peace and perfect peace. And Longfellow continued with these words, Then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail, with peace on earth, goodwill towards men. And with that came one of the most famous Christmas carols, I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. Could I ask you this question here today? Do you know the one who brings peace? Jesus came to bring peace. Do you know him today? My friend, those without Jesus Christ don't truly understand peace until Jesus comes to take residence in the heart. For those of you that are here today and you do know Christ as your Savior, could I ask you this? Are you living a life of peace? Are you peaceful with 
your family and your friends and acquaintances around you? Do you sense the peace in in the everyday trials of life? Do you sense the peace in making the decisions that need to be made? Oh, that's why Jesus came. That's the beauty of the announcement when the angel said to those lowly shepherds on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. 